When Michelle was pregnant with our second son, Matt, we decided that it was time for us to invest in a new vehicle. Uh, the cars we had were getting old and they were smaller. We needed something bigger for our growing family. And so we did what any good Southern Californian suburban family would do. And that is we decided we were gonna buy an SUV. So I started doing my research as I do. And I quickly learned that SUVs are expensive they're kind of small space-wise, and so you need a bigger one if you're getting a bigger family. And they're terrible with gas mileage, and all those things were racking up bills in my head. Cha-ching, 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 all this extra money we are gonna be spending. And so, after doing a little bit more research on it, we decided that we were gonna become a minivan family. Yes, we decided that we were gonna jump into the whole fray of being a family, and we were gonna get a minivan, and so after doing some research, we settled on a Toyota Sienna. Toyota Sienna. You know what happened after I decided to buy a Toyota Sienna? I started seeing them everywhere. I'd be driving down the freeway and a Sienna would pass me by. I'd go to the grocery store and there'd be a Sienna in the parking lot. It seemed like everywhere that I went, I saw a Toyota Sienna. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that that Sienna just appeared out of nowhere? Like all of a sudden they just didn't exist and I thought about them and suddenly they were everywhere. Well, no, of course not. That's not what happened, right? My mind started thinking about Toyota Siennas. I started setting my sights on buying a Toyota Sienna, and so I started noticing them everywhere that I went. I started getting consumed with this idea of buying a Sienna, and so I kept seeing them. And really, I think that works in a lot of ways like that in our lives. What we set our mind on, what we set our sights on, what we start thinking about and focusing on, we start seeing it everywhere. But I don't think that just works like that in life in general. I think it also works like that in our walk of faith. What we set our sights on guides and informs everything we do about our life. And so I think God's Word has something to say about that. We're going to dig into God's Word here in just a second, but first let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time this morning, this time where we can worship you, this time where we can hear from your Word. I pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open, we would be prepared to receive so that we can learn and grow and learn to live out this walk of faith for you and for your glory. And so we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, what are you setting your sights on? In your life, in your walk of faith with your family and the things that you do and decisions you make, what are you setting your sights on? And as you think about that, as you think about what is the focus of your eyes, what are you focusing on in your life, how does that inform your decisions that you make and what you do? We're going to take a little tour through the Bible because I think this idea of what we set our sights on is very important. And it's important from the very beginning. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 to start off. Genesis chapter 1, beginning of your Bible. Should be easy to find. Flip to the first few pages past the table of contents and the introduction. Genesis chapter 1, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then creation starts. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. I find it interesting that the very first thing that God created in this universe was light. 
light that we need to see, right? Our eyes are receptors of light. That's how we can see the things around us. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1-4. God saw that the light was good. Seven times in this creation story, as God creates, it says God saw that the thing he created was good. God creates something. He looks at it and he says, yes, that is exactly how I designed it to be. God creates and says, yes, this is what it was meant to be. He sees what he created and he says that it is good. The pinnacle of all creation at the end of Genesis 1, God said in Genesis 1:26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God creates man in the image of God. God creates man to look like, to reflect, to resemble the God who created the universe. And so God creates man as a pinnacle of all creation. And then we get to this part, Genesis 1:31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. This is the first time we read, it was very good. God steps back. He looks at all of creation, and he says, yes. That's good stuff right there. Have you ever done that? Have you ever created something, and you step back, and you look at your creation, and you're like, oh, yes. Maybe it was a good Thanksgiving meal that you just had this past weekend. Uh, maybe you're a baker, and it's a beautiful cake that you've made, or you're an artist, and it's a painting that you made, something you wrote. Have you ever stepped back and looked at something that you created and said, oh, that is exactly as I designed it to be? That's what God does in this story of creation. He steps back. At the end of the sixth day, he sees all that he has made. He looks at it and he says, this is good stuff. Now we have Adam and Eve in the garden and unfortunately, it's not very long before things start to fall apart. Adam and Eve are walking around, they're placed in the garden of Eden. They see God's beautiful creation. They see God, they're with God in the presence of God. We don't know exactly what that looks like. But we know that Adam and Eve saw God in everything he had done and lived in that. But in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes in. He starts to poke holes in this idea of who God is and how much God cares about his people. And we read about the fall of man in Genesis 3.6, though. Look at what happens with Eve. Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Eve saw something. In all of creation, in all of this beauty that Eve had available to her, God's, Eve saw the one thing that God said you cannot have. She looked at it. She pondered it. She set her sights on it and saw that it was desirable. And then she did the thing that God asked her not to do. And she ate from the tree she wasn't supposed to eat from. Let me ask you a question. What are you setting your sights on? In this world God's created, in this life God has given you to live, are you setting your sights on those things that are from God? Or are you setting your sights on the thing that God tells you not to go after. And it says in Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. 
And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They realized what had happened and they're embarrassed and they're ashamed because they had looked at something that God told them not to desire. Instead of setting their sights on the creation and the creator and the wonder that he has made, they set their sights on something else and slowly turned away from God. It all kind of falls apart from there. The story of the Old Testament is the story of mankind gradually and gradually turning away from God. We read in Judges 17, uh, centuries later, as God's people are now entering the promised land and conquering it and settling in there. It says at that time in, Je in Judges 17 that Israel had no king, and so they set their eyes on whatever they desired. They did whatever was good in their own eyes. Adam and Eve started in this beautiful place of creation where they could see the Creator and they could see God. And they turned away and they saw that the fruit was desirable. Here we are centuries later and everybody is doing what they wanted to do, what was good in their own eyes. And so I want to ask you, what are you setting your sights on in your life, in your walk of faith? Is it the fruit? Is it the thing that God tells you not to? Are you setting your sights on just whatever you want to, whatever seems good to you? Later, God finally decides that he is going to give his people a king because they keep asking. In 1 Samuel 8, the people say, give us a king. We see these other countries, these other nations around us. The Israelites say to Samuel, we see how these countries are being ruled by kings and we want to be like that. They saw what their culture was doing and that became the thing they wanted to do. So I want to ask you, what are you setting your sights on? In all of creation, in all this beauty that God has designed in the life that God has given you to live, are you setting your sights on the Creator, God, who has a plan for you? Are you setting your sights on these things that God calls us to turn away from? Are you setting your sights on whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever you feel is good for you? Are you setting your sights on the world, on the culture, the way the culture tells you to live? What are you setting your sights on? Now the good news is God had a plan in all of this. As people gradually over time turn away from, away from God. God's not surprised by it. He's not like, oh man, this creation was so good and now look what happened. No, God had a plan. From the beginning, he knew what was going to happen. And so he had this plan in effect. And as time goes on, we are looking forward to and forward to God acting out his plan. Finally, this time of Christmas, this Advent season, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Well, that birth took place 2,000 years ago. It was the moment in history where God turned things around. John was one of the people that followed Jesus when he lived here on this earth. He writes later in this gospel, listen to these words which are very similar to what we read in Genesis 1. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. From the beginning, this poetic description of Jesus as the Word. From the beginning, the Word was with God. He was part of this creation process. He saw it all unfold. And then in John 1.14 it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's who we know as Jesus Christ. 
This phrase, made his dwelling among us, has this picture of setting up a tent, setting up a tabernacle, setting up a place to live. You see, Jesus became flesh and lived among his people so that he could teach us how to live, but not just to teach us, but to show us. By the way Jesus lived, by the way Jesus walked this earth, we can look at him and we can see how we should live. John goes on to say, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are you setting your sights on? John said that they had seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son. The Apostle Paul later writes in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Paul, who on the road to Damascus was going to persecute Christians, and yet Jesus blinded him, took away his sight so that his sight could be restored and he can see Jesus and later come to write that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so we see that Jesus, as he walked this earth, was God in the flesh, lived a life so that we can look to him, we can look at him, we can learn from him how we live our lives. And so I want to ask you, what are you setting your sights on in your life? You see, I think we have this problem that we want to focus on things that we need to fix. We want to focus on things that we need to solve. We need to focus on things we need to repair. And so maybe you are struggling with sin. Maybe you have an addiction to lust or gossip. Maybe you have a greed issue or a jealousy issue. And so what we tend to do is we tend to focus on that and we tend to say, no, I will not do that. No, I will not do that. While Jesus is over here saying, look to me. We focus on our sin, seeing by, thinking that by focusing on our sin, that's how we conquer it. But imagine if we focused on Jesus. Imagine if we focus on God in the flesh, the exact image of God made flesh. Sin then becomes a nuisance. Because our eyes are set on Jesus. You know, back before the days of GPS and technology, people still had to figure out how to get around in the world. And so sailors would navigate, not by GPS, not by communication, but they would be, navigate by how God designed the universe. They would look at a star. They would look at a place on the land. Or if you're traveling over land, you would maybe look at a distant mountain. You would look at where you're heading and you fix on that. And by doing that, when the storms come, when you're at sail on the sea and it blows you to the south, you look at that star, that fixed point of reference, and you know even though you've gone off course that you can come back to the right path and head in the right direction because their eyes were fixed on their destination. And so I want to ask you, what are your sights set on this morning? Are you fixed on Jesus? that Hebrews calls the author and perfecter of our faith? Does sin then become a nuisance in the light of how you focus on Jesus? Or maybe you're looking at the world and you're seeing the enticements of the world. You're seeing how people live in the world. And it looks good. 
you focus on the freedom that they seem to have. You focus on the fun they seem to have, and it all looks good. And so you focus on that, and you want it with everything in you. And you miss the heartache behind the Instagram pictures. You miss the pain in the family that you don't see on the text messages of how much fun they're having. You focus on the things that look good, and you miss what's happening behind the scenes. You focus on what this world tells you we need and Jesus moves off to the side. But imagine what it would be like if we were to focus on Jesus, if we were to fix our eyes on Jesus and he helped us navigate even the most difficult parts of our life. Imagine if we set our sights on Jesus and let that inform every decision that we make in everything that we do. Imagine if we recognize that we are made in the image of God, that God put a piece of him in us to his glory, that we have those things in us that can reflect his character. And so when I look at myself and I look in the mirror and I say, I'm not good enough. When I look in the mirror and I see how I feel about myself and I say, no, I'm never going to be smart enough or good looking enough or a better, good enough talker. I look at those things and I loathe myself. Imagine if I focused my eyes on Jesus and I knew that Jesus sees me as somebody dearly loved. As Ephesians 2 said, that I could see myself as his masterpiece, his poem. God designed us to be his poetry in this world. And so when we set our sights on Jesus, the self-loathing becomes a nuisance. The sin that holds us becomes a nuisance. The ways of this world that cause us pain become a nuisance in the light of who Jesus is. As we navigate turbulent waters, we can fix our sights on Jesus and know that he will help us make it through. And so I want to ask you this morning to think about what are you setting your sights on in your life? What is your mind focusing on? What is consuming your thoughts? And I want to ask you to take a step of faith. In this season of Advent, we focus on the baby in the manger, the birth of Jesus. And I want you to use this season to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he's worth it. And he can change and impact the entire course of your life. And so I want you to think about what are you setting your sights on and ask you to set those on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that in this season you came to earth and that is what we celebrate. These great stories of the baby in the manger and all of that are wonderful only if we remember that they are wonderful because of who you are. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that our eyes would be fixed on you, that we would recognize you not just as the Savior baby in the manger, but as the Lord of our life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would think about these things that distract us from you, that turn us away from you, and that we would be able to turn our eyes back to you. Lord, and that in that we would do away with sin, we would do away with self-loathing, we would do away with jealousy and looking at the things of this world. Lord, that in the light of your glory and grace, in the light of who you are and how you lived, as we focus on that, Lord, it would change our lives 
here and now and for eternity. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now we're going to take a little time right now to take communion. And now what's interesting is that we're entering into Christmas. We think about the baby in the manger. And this time of communion isn't the baby in the manger. It's the Savior on the cross. But in order for that Savior to go to the cross, he had to be born. The Word had to become flesh and live among us. And so I want you to think as we are thinking through Christmas and Advent, and especially in this season where everything is so different, what does it mean that this baby was born so that he could die on the cross? What does it mean that he didn't just teach us how to live? He didn't just live a life as an example, but he lived the life that led to death for us for our sins, that cute little baby. Think about the cutest little baby, right? You get your baby pictures and they're all cute and all, everything is wonderful. That's Jesus as a baby. But that baby grew up to become a man who was willing to sacrifice himself. He lived a perfect life. He was without sin, though Satan certainly tried. He lived a perfect life and died the perfect death on the cross. You see, even from the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, a sacrifice was made so that they can have clothing. Right? They were clothed with animal skins. A sacrifice was needed to cover their sin. And so Jesus walked to this earth and became the perfect sacrifice. For centuries, the Israelite people had been sacrificing in order to appease God, in order to cover their sin, but Jesus became the perfect sacrifice once for all time. And so that baby in the manger that we celebrate this Christmas became the man who died on the cross. And so as we take this time for communion, I want you to remember that Jesus died for your sins. As you take the bread, remember his broken body. As you take the cup, remember his blood that was shed for you. Jesus died on the cross for our sin, but he didn't just stay dead. That's the real miracle here, right? God became flesh was the beginning. Jesus dying on the cross was the peak where Satan thought he had won once and for all. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that God has power over sin and over death. And so as we take this time of communion, I want you to remember, I want you to think about what it means that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. They are buried and they are in the grave. And as we set our sights on him, as we fix our gaze on Jesus, the things of this world become dim in the light of his presence and his resurrection. And so I pray that you would take this communion with joy, remembering the sacrifice that sets us who follow Christ free from sin and death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for showing the power that you had through your resurrection. And I pray that we would find joy as we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we take this communion in remembrance of you and who you are and how you lived. And I pray, Lord, that in it and through it and in this week ahead, we would set our sights holy on you. In Jesus' name, amen.